I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast. Three women, one podcast, and a whole load of badass. This week we're talking adoption with a woman who absolutely blows our mind. And we meet one of the Grassroots Awards nominee for Sportswoman of the Year. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four! Now, if you're like one of the many women and men around the world who can't have children of their own, you might have at some point thought about adopting. Our next guest thought about it and did it, and then wrote a book about the experience. Um, Eleanor Holmes, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. AKA Adoptee Mum. So tell us a little bit about your story. How did you come to adopt your children? Um, Well, we found out we couldn't have children naturally. We did the whole trying for the amount of time your doctor says to, and then we looked at IVF and we had a go at that. Um, But we came away realizing that there was just no way that was gonna work. we you know we did try but it wasn't it wasn't going to work for us so we looked into adoption we didn't even consider surrogacy or something like that actually um we just knew that we wanted children and we're happy to go down this route that might be slightly harder but you know give it a go (laughs) and you adopted your children from the uk i did yes Yes. and when you decided you were going to adopt how long did you think the process was going to take and how long did it take in reality um well, we were completely unsure how long it might take. Um, but as soon as you start looking into it, because um, there are so many children waiting, um, the adoption agencies are very quick to get you in. So um, you don't necessarily wait to start very long at all. Um, and I think a few years ago, the Conservatives brought in that it would take a maximum of six months to be approved. And it did, door to door, six months. So, um, yeah, it, it wasn't long at all, really. <laughs> And then when you're approved for adoption, like you say, there's so many kids. How do you how do you go about finding the children that, mm. and ultimately selecting the children you want to want to adopt? Yeah, it is really hard. It's a very painful thing um, to do. Um, uh, as I say in my book, that you get sent a monthly catalogue wow. type of children who are needing families, which is heartbreaking. It's it's horrible to see this this book and. You know, it's it's something that has to be done. They have to let you know they're out there. And so you sort of inquire about different children or ask about them. But you find yourself being so overwhelmed and with the choice of different children that you start being quite critical and cutting it down. Um, 
in probably quite horrible ways, really, in really judgmental ways that actually you don't mean it against that child. You're just comparing it to what you think you can cope with. So if you can, for example, if you can see evidence of, I don't know, maybe fetal alcohol damage, you might think, oh, could we cope with that? Possibly not. Okay, so maybe not those children then. And then you'd look at something else. But it is very judgmental and very horrible. And yeah, not a nice thing to have to do, actually. Do you find... I think in that situation, I would almost find myself paralysed by indecision. I wouldn't want to make the wrong decision. Yeah. And so the fear of doing that would almost stop me making any decision. Yeah, definitely. I can understand what you mean. I think that, um, you know, I I go to church, so I believe that, Mm -hmm. you know, I'd I'd get a bit of a hand if I was stuck Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't make the wrong choice. But um, we were lucky. Our social workers were so, so fantastic. They knew exactly who we were and what we could manage and before we'd even been approved as general adopters um she had shown us um images of two children she thought would be ours and they were ours there was no doubt about it they were ours the minute we saw them but she wouldn't tell me too much because obviously your your heart gives in and go all right then (laughs) but uh yeah what was it that made you go there ours like there was a real like like joy in your face when you said that yeah i think you it's really hard to imagine them before you know what they look like because um, it's the same as imagining your wedding day. You think, oh, it'll look like this and it'll go like this. But I, these children were faceless. But actually, when we read the descriptions, they were a mini me and a mini my husband. <laughs> so that was like, oh, wow, we could definitely get on with those kids. And we saw them and it was like, yeah, no, that's that's it, actually. That's amazing. And I don't know why we're told... Um, my friend Emily quite often says that my children look like us, wow. quite scarily like us. Um, and so I think... You, you fall in love with something that looks similar to you and that's I think that's biology you're supposed to which is yeah. why you produce a baby that looks like you yeah. so um, I think it was just that really that and then but for them for the kids how how quickly did they kind of um, you know start to feel comfortable with you because that must mm. be a huge thing for them yeah to suddenly have well now you've got parents and now you're yeah. in a new home were they siblings originally or yeah yeah, yeah. they're siblings yeah um, but they were in care together um, and I think our daughter was very excited because, you know, it's, it's like saying Father Christmas is coming, you're getting a mummy and daddy, well, that's just and she a picture was, book. They were three and six. Yeah, they? she was almost three. Yeah. It was just before her third birthday. Um, and from, from the minute we arrived, she was really excited, really pleased. She just came running to the door, oh, that's my daddy. And, and that was it. She knew and she's attached really well. We've got a really great relationship um, she has got a lot of anxiety about me going. I left her tonight at home, uh, absolutely terrified, bawling her eyes out because mummy was going out. Um, but she's really proud of me, so it was okay. She said on the phone just now. Um, but um, for our son, it was a lot harder because he'd had a lot of foster carers in his life, and a lot of women had bounced him from place to place. Mm. And so, why would I be any different? And so, although he was very keen to like my husband because he was just the big kid Mm. to play with and that was fine um I was someone who was laying down the laws a little bit to him Mm. and so he was very rejecting of me because it's easier to do that than me reject him Mm. it hurts him less so our relationship now is still awkward I'd say you know there's there is love there and he needs me and and we can have really good fun together but it's very few and far between because actually he won't relax how old is he now he's 12 right okay but because there's sort of school issues and you know you know normal child issues that happen and i have to deal with them i'm still this 
person who can be cross or cannot be cross and he just doesn't want to trust it's too hard so yeah. he he doesn't he doesn't believe that i'll be okay with him so mm. it's always slightly on edge <laughs> going into this i'm sure they explained that it wouldn't be easy mm. but it, was it harder or easier than you'd sort of built it up to be uh, i think it was oh i don't know um possibly a lot harder in different ways mm. so you when you read a textbook you think okay i need to know these sorts of things could happen this background would cause this kind of reaction and this would cause this mm. um and you get that all straight in your head um but actually when it comes to living it day in day out you realize that there's a billion things that just you weren't aware were going to be a problem um which is where i started my book really because actually writing them down really made me sort of connect that oh birthday parties cause this or mummy mm. going out causes this and you know those sorts of minor things to the world and minor mm -hmm. things to the professionals mm. they don't think to mention them necessarily because actually they are very little things but actually to my children they can be the end of the world mm. and we've got a huge situation to deal with completely unprepared because mm. nobody had ever mentioned that you know, shoes on the wrong feet can cause a massive meltdown right. or something like that. <laughs> Did you become a bit of an expert in child psychology? Um, I'm an expert in my children's psychology. Yeah. I don't know, again, as I put in the book, my children aren't everybody else's children. Mm. So, yes, if yours seem similar, great. I've got some ideas as to why things might happen. Um, but I think the most important thing about being their mum is to know them inside and out. So we quite often come across as quite defensive or like we're telling people like, as though we know best we don't know everything best we know them best mm. and actually we need to fight for these children because if we didn't nobody else would be oh. uh, it's amazing talking to you we're going to keep talking to you after the break because your book Adopt You Mum is filled with tips and ideas and just things that I hadn't even thought about, like dealing with the forms and why friends are complicated. Yeah. So we're going to be hearing a bit more about that, all of, oh, but, uh, a bit more about all of that after the break. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome back to Badass Women's Hour XL. We're here with author of Adoptive Mum, Eleanor Holmes, talking about what it's really like to be an adoptive parent. Eleanor, before the break, we were talking about child psychology and how you sort of have to rapidly become an expert in your child's psychology. Yeah. Um, do you think when you're adopting that there is enough support there for adoptive parents to help them with that transition? I think it very much depends on where you live, actually. Mm. I know that the Adoption Support Fund um, is going to be continuing for a little while longer, but obviously that will depend yeah. on the government, as everything does. Um, and there's a cap on the limit of how much you're allowed, um, which currently is £5,000 a year. Um, and that is one of my children's 12 therapy sessions, and that's it. So... Wow. 12 a year now you we reapply and and it's not been a problem however yeah. if it was a problem then i would have to find that money and all my children would go without and actually it's not theirs or my fault that they that their emotions feel the way they do um that's down to someone else but we need to help them with that so so that makes it very hard i think there's a lot of emotional support i've been to a lot of groups and it's a great set of mums and my friend rachel and i we talk all the time and it's really helpful um because it's a kind of 
my kid did this, my kid did that. <laughs> oh, brilliant, let's drink cocktails. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, 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 you feel reassured that somebody else knows what you're going through. And so that side of things great but I think all your friends end up being adoptive parents yeah which is great but then when you get all the kids together it's just a big bag of crazy <laughs> so that's quite tough <laughs> um but you don't have to apologize or explain so there's a real bonus yeah. really <laughs> but um there is there is definitely support out there but not enough not not enough funding for the children um because if you have these needs up until you're say four and then at yeah. four you need have different needs all of a sudden um, well, where's the money for those needs? You know, you might have lots of needs going on at once and you just don't have access to everything. So it does make it very hard for parents. And what about the, the outside world that don't know that you are adoptive parents? We know that par sort of the parenting world can be quite judgy and there are some statements from the book, you know, why is she getting so uptight with that lady who's giving her son a biscuit or it, you, some of your notes, week two I was reported to school for dragging. Um, now that's simply not accurate. So... How do you deal with the way other people see you parenting without the context of why you parent in the way that you yeah, do? Yeah, it's, it's very tough. It's, it's painful. It hurts so much. Um, you know, we've been through a lot of those situations. And I think it's because I'm a, I come across as a confident person, um, you know, people can, can just see me as like a little bit intimidating. And so actually they, they wouldn't come and talk to me about what they thought. But it is hard because... I love the bones of those children. I'd never do anything to hurt them that wasn't in their interest, but it, it does make it tough. And, you know, people, uh, as I've written in there, people do seem to think we've, we adopted as a collective and that they're all entitled to their comments and their thoughts and their judgments on us. Now, when I see other parents doing things, I might think, oh, that's a bit, whatever it is, a bit angry, a bit soft or anything but actually now I know it's well, it's nothing to do with me and providing they're not beating that child senseless in front of me then I'm probably safe enough to step back because they know that child best and I think because people who adopt are put on such a pedestal I'm told all the time that we're heroes mm -hmm. we're really not heroes we are normal people doing the best we can and so when people think of you as you are chosen to be these parents, you must be brilliant at it. Mm. And then they see you do something they don't agree with. Instead of talking to you or just letting it go, they think, well, I better inform someone quick. Mm. And it's, it, why? And do you feel like there's a higher expectation of yeah. your parenting skills because you've technically been assessed yes. as in, you know, to, or qualified to then look after children? So yeah, there's an very assumption much so. that you must know what you're doing. Because yeah, no, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. It, it, we are really thought of like that, in my opinion. Yeah. And so I think. Um, I think the world's mad. Why would I be better than anybody yeah. else? You know, I, I think every parent out there is trying their best. It is a yeah. hard job. Mm. And, and yours is made harder because you have two small people that have had a really traumatic start to their life. And yeah. Of course, there's going to be decades of fallout from that. that yeah, you've definitely. Also got to navigate. Yeah, well, it is, it's nice when people understand that. But uh, we get a lot of people say, well, they're in a good home now. So, um, you know, oh, they're, they're be fine are, they, are they not? Is he not oh, grown out of it? Wow. And you think, <laughs> really? Yeah. Do you really mean that? <laughs> Just, that's insane. And so, it, when you were going through the decision-making process, I know that um, you feel that these your, your children were chosen for you. You had the option, I'm guessing, of a younger child. 
Yeah, so we were approved for two children. Okay. Um, there is an age gap between the youngest, I think it is, and your age. So, uh, for example, it could be you can't be 35 years older than your child. So if you're 37, you have to have a two-year-old. If you're 38, you'd have to have a three-year-old. Really? Like that. Yeah, That's I think it's, it used to be like that. Um, it's due, I think it was due to the fact that you, because there's no upper age limit on adoption, mm -hmm. um, having a, say, 70-year-old adopt mm -hmm. a young baby may mean yeah. the baby is more of a carer at some point or, yeah. Yeah. Okay. you know, they might lose their parents young and more mm -hmm. trauma and things like that. But I don't know if that's still the case. But right. we, we were happy to have siblings and we were happy to be guided on who was right for us. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so we didn't, we didn't need to worry about that. And our, our little girl was like a... A baby and that you know she was just about still in nappy so we almost got the little baby stage <laughs> just with a lot of mouth <laughs> it, it's more you know I, I get going back to what you're saying about the way people think about adoption I think a lot of people think of adoption as a newborn baby yeah and so also going through a journey of it not being a newborn baby and everyone yeah. else's perceptions around what your journey is going to be mm. because these stories are usually dramatized yeah and that how have you almost combat what everyone thinks is adoption yeah and the babies you adopt and almost shared your reality i guess that's the reason that you've yeah, written the book well, I, I started blogging because it's a really good way to reflect and and get the emotion out of myself mm. because you can't deal with our children and their emotions if your emotions are, are, are sky high as well it's just not possible it's bedlam really um so i was doing that um but i think that we very much ignore people who have assumptions now mm. we've learned to we've developed a very thick skin to ignore those things mm. um i think babies tend to come more in america they come right from birth and things like that that doesn't happen as much in the uk so i don't know if there wasn't an expectation to have a tiny baby um but i think I don't think anybody's kind of that we're close to has sort of been like, oh it's sad that you didn't have a baby but they do find it difficult that my lovely new shiny children are telling me where to go <laughs> because they're expecting them to be like oh mom you're brilliant and they don't think that <laughs> how did you cope how did you go from really wanting parents trying really hard and then you know you've immediately got a three and six year old so you've kind of like fast-tracked having kids, no parenting skills as such, and then suddenly you've got this sort of ready-made family where most people have that sort of, you know, you're gearing up from the baby the ease into the where yeah, they start to talk about the you. Yeah. 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 How um, was that? That first couple of weeks when you first get the kids home, Yeah, was it was tough. Um, yeah, very tough. But I, do you know what? It sounds very soppy, but as hard as it was for us, imagine how hard it was for our children. Yeah, they were yeah. being told to do what we said and yeah. hold our hands and cross the road and trust us and live yeah. in our house and I don't think I'd happily go and live at strangers houses yeah. at the age of three or six mm. and so I think actually that's where the blogging was really good because I would start my blog going oh my goodness it's been so hard this has happened this one ran off this happened or whatever and then I'd say I wonder why and then I think well it's probably because of this that's where my trainings mm. come in and then I'd be like oh my poor children they must find it so hard and I'd be crying for them not for me and actually it was a really good way to realize no matter how hard you feel this yeah. life is it's harder for them what yeah. have what do they make of the adoption process? Do they understand it? How do they... Do they still have any contact with their birth parents? What's... Um, so we... Uh, there's all different versions. So you can have contact and there can be letterbox contact. Um, and 
that's what we have letterbox at the moment um, we're not really in contact um for reasons with uh, their both mum um but they they do have memories of it they talk about foster care positively and remembering lots of fun things they did they were unlucky they came from like a farm to yeah. our townhouse so that's a bit of a letdown <laughs> um, but you know they they do think of it positively however our daughter very much is ours she says oh if you grew a baby god would have changed it that it was me anyway so don't worry about it Aww. so you know she's completely she's, our yeah. child um and our son i think he he loves it being in our house he misses things about the past i think he misses the freedom he may have had when he was at different schools and yeah. did with different parents um but i think they found it a long process my, my son yeah. particularly you know he had, he had a, a long time waiting and many many foster carers mm. um for various different reasons and i think that was hard for him because actually if you never know which person to believe when they're telling you to behave which person will feed you next which person will give you your birthday present next you know that those things are quite worrying for a child and so i think it, it couldn't come soon enough for him actually i think you, it was about time you wrote the book for other parents that are thinking about adopting and you said there are lots of books out there about how to do it but none of them really tell you the truth well i think there's a lot of nice sugar coating on them um and i couldn't be that person if i tried to be honest i'm a bit too honest but i think that there are books out there and there are books that are talking about the journey and, and but they're, they're different to um our journey so they would be different books but i think mine as mentioned it's meant to be a drunk friend hug someone who really oh. gets it and you just go yeah, oh my yeah. god this is awful but so's yours oh. yeah. you know and you, you feel comforted by that so i think there's a lot of laugh out loud um some people have said they've cried at it but actually i think being aware that our family get it for you yeah. and we go through it with you and also we don't know what we're doing either. Yeah. I think that's quite reassuring. <laughs> Not confident in that. Yeah, it? definitely. What do you wish you'd known before you adopted? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, I wish I'd known how to not take things so personally. So my son very much hates me. It isn't me, Eleanor. It's the mum role because yeah. mums have let him down. Mm. And I think it's very hard not to take it personally. Oh, um, uh. when he's been quite dismissive. Yeah. But um, I wouldn't change it. I'd change it for him. I wouldn't want him to have that that mm. horrible bit that makes him do that, like that towards me. But, you know, he's improving. It's getting better. And, um, yeah, so I think knowing not to take things quite as personally, but it is very hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard. I think every mum, regardless of the situation, feels that. I remember, yeah. God, you made me really think about a time when I was about seven or eight. And I, when I used to go out on school trips, you know, there'd be like this souvenir gift shop. So I used to bring gifts back for my parents. And I bought my mum back. I don't even know why, like a little plastic toy in the shape of a dragon. And I remember like going into the bath. She was running, going to the bathroom. She was running a bath in floods of tears because she thought that I thought that she was a dragon, which did sum up our relationship at that point in time. <laughs> but obviously I didn't think she was a dragon. That was just how it came across. But I think... What you're really showing there is that like every mum feels that yeah, point in time. Definitely, it, yeah. it is 
really the hardest yeah, job, heavy. you know, because balancing the million things mums have to do as mum and then the millions of things you have to do as the emotional role in the family and then, yeah. you know, the practical role and all of these things, it's mm. so hard, you know, fighting against feminine hormones as well. Oh, my goodness, <laughs> yeah. it's just it's a lot. Oh, yeah, it is a lot. <laughs> That's why chocolate was invented. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ella, it's been so amazing talking to you. Thank you Thanks. so much for coming in. And your book, Adoptee Mum, is out now. It's a survival guide to life with adopted kids. It's fabulous and funny and moving and wonderful. So thank you for writing it. Um, if people Can people find you online? Can they find your blog? Um, yeah, so it's if you go to elinahomes.com, you can find all, all different things, new things that are going on, crazy updates, what we're doing right now <laughs> and things like that. So, yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much. The Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In case you haven't been following it, then be aware the Sunday Times Sportswoman of the Year 2019 is coming up. And in the run-up, we are talking to the nominees of the Vitality Grassroot Award. The people basically that are in their community creating incredible sports programmes. And today we are talking to Jacqueline Squinscast, founder and head coach of the Thames Valley Kinds Wheelchair Basketball Club. Hello, Jacqueline. Good evening. <laughs> so, wheelchair basketball... Is it what it says on the tin? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get into it? Um, I went to a local school that had a resource for people with disabilities and one of my friends um, happened to have a disability and she played wheelchair basketball and she used to travel up to London every week for training. There wasn't anything in Berkshire. Um, when I turned 19, I decided to set up the team um, that is the Thames Valley Kings Wheelchair Basketball Club. We, I was working on my Queen's Guard Award, which is equivalent to the Duke of Edinburgh Gold, and you have to work on a project in the community for 12 months, and here we are 15 years later, still going. No way. Wow. It's amazing. So are you, you're not in a wheelchair yourself, Jacqueline? No. No, you just set it up for your friend. I love that. That's amazing. And how many people are now part of the club? 
So initially we were a junior-led team um, and then we've grown into two adult teams um, that play in the British Wheelchair Basketball National League in Division 1 and Division 3. We've actually been in Swansea today for a match. Um, and we also have a junior league team and we have women that play in the women's league team, but we don't have our own team at our club, but they join uh, with others from other clubs to play. Do you have to be wheelchair bound to be in your in your team or can you can you be somebody who's normally in a wheelchair but wants so to play any, wheelchair basketball anyone can play wheelchair basketball it's a fully inclusive sport whether you do or don't have a disability um we have a classification system that aims to make it fair for match days uh when we do subs we're only allowed a total of well we talk about it from a paralympic level it's 14 points on the court um, and players are classified depending on their functional ability. So someone that maybe is a, like a high, a high spinal cord injury and only maybe has upper limb sort of hand and arm function, maybe a one point player up to someone that maybe is a lower limb amputee is something like a 4.5. Um, and in the UK, we have players classed as five point players that don't have a disability at all that get in the chair and play as well. And what's, what do you think wheelchair basketball brings to the people who play it why is it so popular <laughs> there, there's you know the actual skill of playing wheelchair basketball learning to pass and dribble and, and shoot and, and to uh, develop team tactics um that keep people interested and playing with other people that are like-minded that you'd get in any team sport quite a few of the players have used it as part of their rehabilitation tool following their injury um to help them regain fitness and um strength to, to get on with not only playing basketball, but also the skills needed for everyday life. Uh, and I think that's why it's such a great sport and so many people are involved because it, it's what happens on the court, but also what happens off the court that is great for people. Um, not only that, the team building, the, um, the social side of it, it, it's just an all round great sport. And you started this when you were 19. How did you even know how to go about setting up the club? <laughs> Um, so there was a wheelchair basketball development officer called Gordon Perry. Uh, he had been part of the Paralympic team um, in previous years before we set up the club. Um, he came down, brought some chairs. Um, we organised that and we had the fun day in the June. And from the September, we were rocking and rolling with training and not really had a free weekend in 15 years. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and you've trained as a coach. So you are now the official head coach. Yeah, what we have other coaches in, in our setup as well. Um, we, as I say, we had the fun day in the June. I did the coaching course in the August bank holiday weekend and um, was the sort of first coach of the club and now um, oversee the different teams that we run. We've got head coaches for all of the teams that we're all volunteers um, that head up those teams. And I just sort of slot in and fill in as required now, which is really great that we've been able to develop not only players within the club, but also other people that have come forward to volunteer mm. to take on the roles as coaches and, and officials. How do you get um, funding for the sport? Do you have any kind of financial support as a team? Uh, yes and no. Um, we The players pay like you would in any sport to participate and take part. So we have a monthly fee that the players pay. Um, which helps cover the cost of training and also match days. It's like £200 just to put one game on. Um, the sports wheelchairs, we tend to attract uh, funding from other sources. The Berkshire Community Foundation have been really great to us recently um, with helping with supplying funding. And we've had funding from a number of um, sources over the years. 
the sports wheelchairs themselves can cost um, between sort of two and a half to sort of four grand. Um, And that's just to get somebody on court. Over the years, the club has raised money and and applied to charity sources for funding. And we own 25 sports wheelchairs. So people can come along and get involved and don't have to shell out for Mm -hmm. a chair, you know, just to participate and try and see if wheelchair basketball is for them. Um, we've got a range of sizes that cater from year eight-year-olds, which is the youngest people we take, um, up until, you know, we've got some chairs that suits some six-foot-tall people um, that are adults. So we've, we've got a range of, of chairs available. I love how inclusive this sport mm. is. The fact that, you know, just because you have a disability doesn't mean that you're not able to play alongside able-bodied people. I, like, I don't know any other sport that does that in that way? I don't know. And it's nice that we've got some families that are involved where uh, we've got two families at the moment where one of the um, children within the family has a disability. Um, In one of the family, dad's now trained as a coach. Um, The the brother plays, the the sister's a photographer, mum sits on the committee um, Mm. and helps with our safeguarding. Um, she's the lead for that. In our other family, um, the one of the children has a, has a disability and mum got involved and she actually now participates in our training sessions as well, taking part so that she can join in with her son and do something together. I know. Are all the teams mixed as well? So mixed abilities, but also mixed gender? Yeah, so our National League teams are mixed male and female, uh, but British Wheelchair Basketball do run their, uh, specifically a women's league, which is just women players that play uh, three weekends of the year in a central venue um, with sort of mixed teams from women across um, different sort of normal National League clubs that then would play together. Just quickly, how big is the league? Um, so the teams range from Premier League, which is equivalent to sort of like a lot of the GB players play in, down to Division 4. Um, there's different subgroups within that. I think there's about 70 teams playing across the UK um, that have got a number of clubs within, a number of teams within the different divisions. Mm. And what is the, what's the kind of vibe of wheelchair basketball? Because I'm just thinking in my head of wheelchair rugby, which is... I mean, frankly, terrifying. Is it, is it, has it got the same kind of throwing yourself into other people's chairs vibe or is it a bit more chilled? Yeah, uh, wheelchair basketball is meant to be a non-contact sport. <laughs> no good for you, Harriet. And, and people do occasionally end up on the floor, you know, with the sheer determination that, the, you know, they're going for the ball or they're going for what they thought was the space and then the space closes because the other team do defence or something. So, you know, people do sometimes end up out um, on the floor or, or what have you. But yeah, it's competitive, it's fun. Um, there's, you know, very friendly. Lots of clubs are very friendly. Um, you know, they give it their gung-ho on the court, but when you come off, you know, everyone's quite friendly and chatty, which is nice, and it has a really nice family feel to the sport. And what has it given you running this club? Mm. <laughs> oh, well, it, it changed my life, um, and, but more importantly, it's changed the life of the people that have been through the club, and that's been really nice to see. Um, one of our uh, players, Michaela, started with us when she was eight, um, and she's gone on and she's now part of the GB women's team and is um, training with them as, a, as an athlete full time. And that's really great to see that something that I started, mm-hmm. that she's been able to do that. Amazing. Um, we've got a young player that's uh, with us at the moment, Liam. He started again following sort of London 2012, mm-hmm. saw the sport, wanted to get involved. Um, and he's now Incredible. on the pathway for, for GB for Jacqueline, under I know you want to brag about them all, but I'm going to have to stop you there because we're running out of time. Jacqueline's coach, <laughs> coach, founder and head coach, Thames Valley Kings Wheelchair Basketball Club. One, two, three, four! 
This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.